My name is Brian White. I want to welcome you. Um, so excited to be here on uh, Father's Day. And as April said, you know, especially in light of uh, the last several weeks, we've been going through the Old Testament, uh, moving into the new today. But, you know, such a huge part of the Old Testament back in the Torah and Exodus is the, the release of slavery, uh, of slaves that um, Israelite Hebrew slaves from Egypt. And I just, you know, every time I think about the story behind Juneteenth and um, that with the Emancipation Proclamation, the slaves were freed, but it took two years uh, before they were told that they were set free back in, in Galveston. And I just, as Christians, you know, it's such a huge part of our story and our narrative is intertwined with the release of slavery. And, and even into the New Testament as we're moving today, we're, we're released from our bonds. And, and I just think it's such a huge thing for us to, to never forget. Uh, we have been going through the Bible on the big picture uh, for the last several weeks. And um, something the last couple of weeks uh, I wanted to program in as we went through this, some of the major questions that I'm asked all the time about the Bible and I put some of them in, uh, had several that were actually scheduled two weeks ago, and we just had to cut them out. And um, I was figuring out how to put them back in, and then it just dawned on me, uh, in several weeks, we have someone joining our preaching team, uh, Steve Lewis, Dr. Steve Lewis, who's a friend of mine, he's been here before, and he's... Uh, been a while, but he also was on some town halls that we did during uh, COVID. And Steve has a PhD in historical theology from um, um, University of Missouri. Um, and he spent most of his life as a, as a seminary professor or a professor in the academic world, pastor, just an amazing, amazing um, resource that I think we're just going to really enjoy. But thought for the first message, you know, I have a lot to say about things like, why is there so much violence in the Old Testament? Um, you know, things like this. And I was going to put those in uh, these messages, but I thought it'd be fun. And we talked about it this last week, he and I, about his first message really being about some of these hard questions in the Bible. And like I said, I have a lot to say about that, but I think um, we're just going to be blessed to be able to hear from him. And so over the next couple of weeks, if you have any questions, uh, get them to me, and he and I can talk about that, and we'll we'll do that on his first uh, first Sunday here. Well, as I said, the last couple of weeks we've been going through the Old Testament, and one of the things we really want to hit, you know, thinking about the Old Testament in terms of the Old Covenant, and it's divided into three parts, and we looked at how the Jewish Bible is set up: the Torah, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim. The Jewish Bible is called the Tanakh. Uh, acronym in Hebrew for Torah, uh, Nevi'im Ketuvim, that's the law, the prophets, and the writings, and really tried to stress this is how Jesus understood uh, the Bible, his, his scriptures. And I think it's fascinating that New Testament, or the New Covenant, is really comprised of those same three parts. And we're going to look at that this week, next week, and the week after. But today I want to spend the our time on the first five books of the New Testament, if you remember the first five books of the Old Testament, called the Torah, the Law. Um, and there's a huge echo in the first five books of the New Testament to the, the Law. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those books were called the, the Torah, the Law, the, um, the Old Covenant. 
And they tell the story of God's special relationship with his people is the point. And, and how this people from uh, God's call to Abraham in Genesis and, and Sarai, um, God had offered a covenant that he would be their God. They would be his special people. And he promised this old childless couple. If they would follow him, they would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and, and those descendants would have land, and they would have a very, very special purpose, a very special blessing, and that was to be a blessing to others, to other ethnos, other nations. The rest of the five books of the law, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they describe this covenant that, that God made and, and how it progressed and, and it made with Abraham's descendants through Moses, right? I want us to understand the New Testament as the new covenant that is the continuing story of that same covenant with Abraham and Sarai. But there's a huge shift that occurs as we move into the new covenant. God, God offered this special relationship with his people in the old covenant based on what? Ethnicity and, and race, really, nationality. The new covenant that God offers, a very special relationship with people, very special people to him. But this one is not based on nationality. It's not based on ethnicity. This is based on faith and faith alone. And this is a huge shift. The old covenant was about God's relationship with the Israelites. They were his people. The first five books of the Old Covenant describe how this people would be in relationship with God, how they would restore that relationship whenever the relationship was severed, when the people broke covenant. This completely changed as we move into the New Covenant. And we move from this relationship based on ethnicity to a covenant that is open to all people, regardless of race. The only requirement for this relationship is a response of faith. Faith that God wants a relationship with us. And, and faith that the one who offered this relationship was Jesus Christ. The English word for gospel is um, it's, it's amongalion in, in Greek, and it make, means good news. It means an announcement of good news. Um, the first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels. They're the, the, the good news of this new covenant. The Gospels are the story of the person who is responsible for this good news, and that's Jesus. And, and Jesus completely redefined our understanding of what it means to be God. And we see this so clearly in, in a shift of one of the main symbols of the Old Testament. And I think of, of the, the symbol of the relationship that God had with the people in the Old Testament. And that was the symbol of an altar. The Old Testament symbol of worship is an altar. God wanted to be in relationship with humans. But the problem is, the humans, they, they weren't pure enough to be in relationship with God. And so something had to occur for humans to be made pure enough to be in relationship with God. But, but there's more, because even if we could be made pure enough to be in relationship, the reality is we're going to mess up. 
right? We break relationships. We break covenant. So not only do humans need to be made pure enough to be in relationship with God, but somehow the relationships needs to be restored when we sever the relationship, when we break the relationship, when we do damage, because that's what humans do. We break relationship, and, and this is what we call sin, and sin comes from, um, it was first a spear-throwing term, then it was an archery term, hamartia, and it just meant missing the mark, missing the mark. That means we, we, the mark is the relationship and we break the relationship. And the law taught that the path to be in right relationship with God and, and other people, you just follow the law and, and this, you would be in right relationship. And it also included um, ways that we could repair the relationship when we broke the relationship. And here's how you did it. You made a sacrifice. Why would we make a sacrifice? Well, because it costs you something. When you make a sacrifice, you're saying, this relationship that I've broken, it means so much to me. And I want it to be repaired to the point that I'm willing to give up something. Something that's costly, something that's important, so that we can, we can restore this relationship. And in the Old Covenant, the job of the priest was to make a sacrifice for the people on an altar to restore the relationship with God. So a priest is like an intermediary between God, or people and God. So when you sin, you would bring an animal to the priest, because that was valuable then. And the priest would sacrifice the animal on an altar on your behalf, as a means of paying off this, this debt that you'd incurred when you broke this relationship. So one of the symbols of how humans relate with God in the Old Covenant was an altar. Altar is a place of sacrifice. It's where you go to give up something. But you receive something of greater value. I think this is important as well because if forgiveness of this sin, restore, restoration of this relationship occurs because of the altar. And it, it required under this system a priest. I think this is really important to understand to be an intermediary between people and God. That changed in the New Covenant. Rather than an altar, we move into a table. Jesus offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to make sacrifices again. We wouldn't need an intermediary. Jesus broke the altar, transformed it into a table, we no longer need an altar. We no longer need an intermediary to be in relationship with God. Jesus took the cost of the sin of the world upon his shoulders and he paid it in full with his life. The symbol of the New Testament especially the symbol of the Gospels, 
is the table. And this is a huge change from the old covenant. I, I think it's so critical for us to understand. Jesus changed the altar into a table. Our relationship with God is not dependent on a priest who offers a sacrifice. Our relationship with God is faith and faith alone that Jesus made this sacrifice. Faith that Jesus performed the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. Faith. Faith that there is no longer need for an altar. This is one of the things that we celebrate when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But also faith that God emptied himself of his divinity, became human on our behalf because he wanted to be in relationship with us. This is what we call the incarnation. That God became human in the man Jesus. And through this incarnation, Jesus taught what it means to be fully God, but also he showed us what it means to be fully human. He was that point where it came together. We talked about this in a couple series ago. It was based upon this, that he was the temple. Faith that God loves us enough that he would ultimately die for us, but his love extended beyond death. And the grave was not able to hold his love. The resurrection of Jesus teaches us that God's love conquers all. And Jesus rose from the dead. So the Gospels, they describe the story of how this happened is the point. First four books of the Bible. So how do we get the Gospels? Well, there's basically three stages of development of the Gospels. I think this is really interesting. Uh, the first stage was, was the life of Jesus, about 0 to 33-ish A.D. I wasn't really there, but we, it's, it's around there, at least. Jesus lived, he walked, he taught, he gathered disciples, he taught them, and they witnessed his deeds, and they heard his teachings, is the point, because they journeyed with him. Luke tells us that when Jesus started out his ministry, he came out of the wilderness after 40 days and he was handed a scroll. He opened up the scroll. It was from the prophet Isaiah. And he took a passage as his mission statement. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the Gospels are the story of how this actually happened. You, you can map this out, especially in Luke. Jesus followed this mission throughout his Gospels and, and it cost him his life. So the historical life, the historical teachings of Jesus, that's the first stage of the Gospels is the point, the good news. Second stage of this development happened after his resurrection and his ascension. And this was a time the stories of Jesus were shared um, and, and before they were written down. And so this is probably between 33 and 70 AD. During this time, his followers would come together was a point and they would share the stories of Jesus' words and Jesus' deeds and Jesus' teachings and his parables and his miracles and the stories of his death and resurrection. Years ago, this made such a profound impact on me. I, I saw a man who 
had memorized the entire Gospel of Mark. And he, he was dressed as, as a, a traveler back in, you know, 40 AD or whenever. And, and he shared the story, he told the story as if he was around a campfire at night. It was amazing, amazing experience for me. Because this is how the gospel was shared. Until a crisis happened in early Christianity, and this is really important to understand. The first Christians, they were convinced that Jesus was going to return within their lifetime. Between that, in that first generation, they were convinced his second coming would occur. So when the last eyewitness was about to die, there was a crisis in the early church. And that was the event that forced them to start writing these stories down. But there were different versions of the stories of Jesus circulating. And to make a long story short and very simple, the church decided the only stories that they were going to call Scripture, they had to either come from an eyewitness who was there or someone who received their information from an eyewitness that they could verify. These would become the Gospels. This was the third stage of development of the Gospels, this is when they were actually written down. And, and they didn't want to risk changing any part of the story. They didn't want to add anything. They wouldn't lose anything. So it was important to write them down. And these were the four Gospels written by four people. Very similar, three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, they're called the synoptics because it, it basically synoptic means similar. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were very, very similar stories. Gospel of John is kind of the maverick of the Gospels and, and much more spiritual, a very unique perspective. And, and he's, we'll talk about this in a minute, but looking for the deeper truths underneath the events of Jesus' life. And, but even with John's different focus, they're, they're pretty much all the same story. I mean, each Gospel, they start with the ministry of John the Baptist, uh, announcing the coming of Jesus, baptizing Jesus. Next, they tell the stories of the life and teachings of Jesus, followed by his trial, followed by his execution. And, and then these women in all the gospel, this is interesting. Uh, we don't have time to go into it, but the women find him. They're the ones who find the empty tomb. And then the disciples encounter the resurrected Jesus. Luke's gospel is not done then. Uh, Luke actually wrote a second book called the Acts of the Apostles. Describes what happened after the ascension of Jesus. First half of Acts describes the growth of the, the early church under the leadership of Jesus' disciples. Peter is the predominant one. He's the leader. And then the second half of Acts describes Paul's journeys. Paul was a rabbi who went from persecuting the early church. This was his mission on life, was to persecute the early church Christians. But then he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And it changed everything. And so he traveled all around the Greco-Roman world, and, and he converted people, helped them become disciples of Jesus, and then he planted churches. And, and next week we'll talk about the writings of the New Testament. That's Paul wrote most of the letters of the New Testament. Second half of Acts tells the stories of the churches that Paul started, churches behind all of those letters in the back, the, the Philippians, Colossians, all, Ephesians, all of that. So the first verses of each gospel teach us an incredible amount um, if you take the time to listen to them. Mark, 
often called passion narrative uh, with a long introduction, meaning Mark's uh, for, focus is the story of the death of Jesus on the cross because he wants us to understand Jesus as the servant king. He's in a hurry to get to the passion. We had a, a series on him back uh, right before Easter this year. But then, then the story just absolutely stops. It slows down, um, just crawls during the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. First uh, verse in Mark tells us a whole lot about his gospel. Mark 1.1, 1, 1, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To really understand what's going on in Mark's gospel. You need to think about this in that second phase of how the, the transmission of the Gospels, when, when it was being shared orally. Like I said, it was, it was told around campfires. To people who had never, ever, ever heard the story before, we can't fathom that. We can't comprehend. Never imagine if you had never heard the story of Jesus ever, and then you're sitting around a campfire at night, and then this guy comes in to your campfire and says, Hey, can I sit with you guys? And then he starts telling a story. You've never heard of Jesus. But he starts out this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you've never heard the story before. You don't know what's going to happen. And it doesn't take long until you get into the story and you realize Jesus is a very good man. And you start cheering for him. You, 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 you hear the stories of people who, who start to follow him. And, and they don't know who he is either. And then they start to mess up. And you know, why? Mark spends a lot of time describing how much the disciples fail. And we just had a series on that. But eventually, not only do they fail, they just sell him out. And you can't believe it. Because the first thing this man told you when he got up to tell you the story, that this was the story of Jesus, the Son of God. Why would they sell him out? And then he goes to trial. You can't believe it. And then he's sentenced to death. And then he's taken away and he's beaten. And, and then they hang him on a cross, crucify him. And you're amazed. When he breathes his last breath, it makes no sense. Mark's ending is so dramatic. If you've never heard the story before, you are forced to go back to the first thing this guy said and make a decision, is this really the story of the good news of Jesus, the Son of God? Or is this just someone who the Romans hung on a cross? You have to decide for yourself, is this indeed the story of the Son of God? Mark's an amazing book. If you read it from the beginning to the end, and it's not going to take you long, you'll understand what I mean. Gospel of Matthew. Story of the kingdom of heaven coming near. Matthew begins with these words, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now the Greek literally says, it's not genealogy, it literally says the book of Genesis. 
the Genesis book of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the first two words of the first book of the New Testament is Genesis, book of Genesis. Matthew's telling us something. Jesus' story goes back to the beginning. And his story is a continuation of Israel's history. And this story is Jesus' Genesis. So Matthew, he, Matthew was a Christian of Jewish origin, and he was writing to a, a group of largely, largely, largely Jewish backgrounds. And the point is, they knew Genesis, they knew David, they knew Abraham. Matthew is saying the story of Jesus is the continuing story of Israel. To the point in his genealogy, uh, when, when we, back in school, I remember after we had had Greek and Hebrew, we translated his genealogy from Greek into Hebrew, and it spells David, and it's hard to explain, but it's just fascinating. Because it's all about the Davidic Messiah. He's the, 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 the ancestor of David. Descendant, excuse me. So over and over, Matthew tells us the point. Jesus did not come to abolish the law that God gave in the first covenant. But he did raise the bar higher, is the point. Especially in the Sermon on the Mount. This is a body of teachings. Uh, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, Matthew uh, it was a sermon that Jesus gave, and, and it described how his followers should behave. And he did it up on, uh, Matthew says, a, a, a kind of a little mountain. And you're supposed to hear an echo of the law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai, is the point. Listen how Jesus talks about the law that God had given to Moses um, on that first mountain. But, but he raises the bar higher, like I say. Matthew 5, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass, not one letter, not a stroke of a letter, it says not one iota, that's where a one iota comes from, uh, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your fair righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus reframes the commandments from that first mountain on the, the old covenant. Jesus at 521.22, you have heard that it was said, and this is Moses, of those of ancient times you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment but I say, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. 527 to 529, you've heard that it was said, there again, this is the old covenant, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. Jesus is stressing in Matthew 
that Jesus took the law of the old covenant, raised the bar, but painted a picture of grace that was never found in the law. Otherwise, everybody raise your stump. Listen to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. A great example of how Luke writes, Luke 1, 1 through 4, says many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to those of uh, who us from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the world. Word. I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very first to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. So in Greek, uh, Theophilus means God lover, Theos Phileo, God lover. So listen to uh, Luke chapter two, or book two, Acts of the Apostles. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you've heard from me. For the John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then from there on, Luke tells us the history of the early church. Luke and Acts are the longest, most sophisticated works in the New Testament. They're written to be read together. If, if Jesus does something in Luke, the early church does the exact same thing in Acts. Often there's a story of a male doing it in Acts and a female doing it in Acts. It's, it's in, done in tandem. But the point is, the church does what Jesus did. After the Spirit descended upon them, in, in Luke, uh, Jesus started his ministry, and then the Spirit descended upon the church in Acts, and the church was born, and, and, and they began their ministry like Jesus did. In Luke, the disciples, they fail over and over and over and over. In Acts, they are the same people. They are bold. And they continue Jesus' ministry. And they're a new creation in Christ after the Spirit had descended upon them. And then the church does what Jesus did. Jesus teaches in Luke. The apostles teach in Acts. Jesus heals a man in Luke. The apostles heal a man in Acts. Jesus has conflict with the religious authorities in Luke. The apostles have conflict with the religious authorities in Acts. Jesus gave his life in Luke. The apostles give their lives in Acts. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of points going on in that, but the one I want us to get right now, and it's arguably the biggest, most important thing in, in Luke and Acts, is through the Holy Spirit, the church is the continuing presence of Jesus. We are called the body of Christ because we are his continuing presence, and we are called to do what Jesus did. And that's what a follower does. We've talked about this. A follower does what their leader does. They go where their leader goes. They do what their leader does. If we say we follow Jesus, we go where he goes. We do what he does. Luke and Acts want us so desperately to get this. 
listen to the beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So John is saying, to understand Jesus' story, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. Before creation, Jesus was. Jesus was God in flesh. Matter of fact, when John says the word dwelled among us, the word in Greek is literally pitched its tent among us. And we're supposed to remember back when God traveled with the Hebrews and dwelled among them in the tabernacle, the tent in the Exodus, in the Old Covenant. In the New, God dwells among us in Jesus. All the Gospels teach this. And, 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 you know, it used to be they would teach that Mark was, you know, focused on the humanness of Jesus and John was focused on the divinity of Jesus. And I think it's closer to say that John is just so much more overt about this. I mean, he like hits us over the bat, uh, uh, head with a bat over it. It's in Mark and it's in the other Gospels, but... Uh, where they will tell the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is way more interested in just telling the truth underneath the stories. Every single story, I think, in John is teaching us that Jesus is God among us. He, at the end of his gospel, he writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in his book. But these are written so that you might come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. I mean, he just throws it out there. Where the others, they want you to decide on your own. The Gospels are a gift. And sometimes I think we don't realize that they were written by someone who was interpreting Jesus' story for their community. We learned so much about their community. Like when they, uh, Jesus, the, the, the guys come with the paralytic and they, they lower him down to Jesus because they can't get in the house. And, you know, Mark says up on the roof that they dig through the mud of the house to get the guy down. And Luke says they remove the tiles of the ceiling because it's a very different community. This is what preaching is. This is proclamation is. This is the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So that we might have faith is the point. That we might accept the good news for ourselves. And that we might define ourselves by these stories. The stories of Jesus, they can be yours. And they're the beginning of the story of eternity. but they call us for action.